0: We're going to mix things up just a little bit today, and uh, I just want us to get a little comfortable, okay? Because uh, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. You ever find yourself in those moments where you just kind of feel like you're in a funk? And uh, you know, here's what happens to me typically when I find myself getting in a funk. I start getting negative, Right, like I start looking at things and I've got this real critical attitude about stuff, and someone asked me how my day's going, and I'm like meh, 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 meh. you know what I'm talking about? like am I the only one that kind of gets in those things sometimes, and you know i got so I found myself kind of getting into that, and there were some you know there were some circumstances that you know Ashley and I were kind of you know we were looking at, and it was- it was really causing me to reflect back on my own life. And when I started doing that, to be honest with you, I really didn't like what I was seeing. You know, we always talk about in in the church setting, um, you you hear words tossed about like complacency and comfort, um, even words like convenience. And I got to thinking about those words and, and what I what I kind of began to discover in my own life were those, those were words that really had begun to describe me and where I was at. You know, you kind of get comfortable in, in a routine, but when you get comfortable in that routine, what you soon discover, if you'll allow yourself, is really what you're not, you're not in a routine, you're in a rut. You kind of get the difference of it. Remember like you know when we were playing Oregon Trail as, as kids, the young kids today they don't know the glory of Oregon Trail. But you guys remember Oregon? You know, those of you that kind of my generation remember playing Oregon. But you remember watching you know the homesteaders and they would they would they would follow these trails west. And what the trails would be as people followed those trails, those trails would get just deeper and deeper and deeper. Till basically, if your wagon got started in a in a in a, in these ruts. You weren't getting out until you got to a certain spot, like you weren't going to just, you know, turn the bit in the horse's mouth, and, and he was going to carry you up out of this thing. And I think sometimes if what happens to us as churches is that we get into ruts. We get into that which is familiar. We get into that which is um, convenient, all those C words, convenience, complacency. And, and, we, and in our minds, we think everything is going OK. Right? There's no fights in the church, like we're all headed in the same direction. But individually and inwardly, we fall into these ruts and, and 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 then we put God in this box and say, God, these are the only things I'm interested in doing. And we don't maybe intend on doing that, but that's kind of what we fall into. And so over the course of the next, I don't know, three or four weeks. Um, we're going to explore the the book of Romans chapter 12 and and how that pertains to to a couple of different things, uh, uh, three different things, I I think, primarily. One, how it pertains to our relationship with God. And then we're going to spend some time talking about uh, not really our relationship to ourselves, but I would say specifically talk about ourselves a little bit. And then we're going to talk about our relationship with other people. But you gotta start with this relationship right here. Because if our relationship vertically with the Lord Jesus is not where it should be, no other relationship in our life is gonna be right. Everything else is gonna be broken because from this relationship, everything else, we can try as hard as we might. But if, there, if this right here is broken, if there is separation here, everything else, everything else is going to be affected by it. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my peers and my friends, my relationship with my church family, all that is gonna be affected by this relationship right here being broken. So if you have your Bibles, flip open with me to Romans chapter 12. And as as we prepare to read, I want you to understand something. Everything we talk about Paul is talking to the church, okay? This is not an evangelistic letter. Paul is talking to the church in Rome. And he has spent 11 chapters dealing with, with doctrine, with theology about how, how we view ourselves. And this is where we get the Romans road from. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is de- excuse me death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised Him from the dead. All this comes. Well, he's dealing with all this theology, but beginning in chapter twelve, he begins to say, "This is where the rubber meets the road." We've talked about all this theology. We've talked about all this doctrine, but this is where doctrine and life, where they collide, where they come together. And he begins by saying, "I urge you, or I beseech you, or I I beg of you." He says, "I appeal to you." Therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or rational worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you bow me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we approach your throne, Lord, that we do it with humble hearts. That God, we, we are here this morning because we love you. We're here this morning because we want to honor you. We're here this morning because we want to worship you. And Father, we're here this morning because we genuinely want to hear from you. And God, there's a, there are times when, when, when God, the thing we need to hear most may not be the thing that we want to hear at all. And God, I pray this morning that as we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to receive it well. That God, that we would see the, the message that you are proclaiming to us. That we would be able to, to see ourselves and recognize what you might be calling us to, what you might be calling us away from. God, that maybe there's some things in our lives that maybe we've fallen into some ruts and we've, and, and, and God, maybe, maybe, Lord. If we're just laying ourselves bare, maybe, maybe we've just not gotten in a rut, but maybe we've started to maybe even rot a little bit. Where things just aren't as, as sure and, and solid as they should be. So Father, I pray this morning that as we, we wrestle through the text this morning and as we, as we meditate on it, as we think on it, Lord, that, that God, you would just help our, our hearts to receive what you want us to God, even if it might be difficult, even if it might be uncomfortable, but God, I, I, I think of those, those early homesteaders. And as they, they got trapped in some mud, Lord, it was not easy to get their, their wagons and their horses up out of those ruts, up out of the mud that they were quickly sinking into. But God, for the, for the survival of their families, for the, the survival of themselves, Lord, they had to do some hard work. They had to get muddy. They had to get uncomfortable. And Father, I pray that your people today, though the circumstances may be different, God, some of us are stuck in some mud today, and God, we need your help to get us out. But Father, it's gonna take some work on our part. And so Father, help us to to do as you're calling us to do. Give us the strength we need, Father. Give us the grace and the mercy that, Lord, though you know we certainly don't deserve but God, that you so freely give and pour out upon your people. So Father, open our hearts, open our minds. And Father, we give ourselves to you for it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I appeal to you brothers or brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, by the, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, I got to thinking about this and I've read this passage over and over again. There was something in me that as I was wrestling with this frustration, this, I don't know, if really I was uncomfortable. I didn't like the negativity that I found myself in and I thought, you know what? (laughs) And this is the honest truth. If people would do what God wanted them to do, I would not be dealing with the frustration And, and, and the, and the negativity that I'm, that I'm dealing with. And then I made, I don't want to say it was a mistake, but it wasn't. I thought, you know what? God probably has something to say about that. So I opened up God's word and you know what God revealed to me in those moments that it wasn't other people that were my problem. I was my problem. It was me. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't someone else not doing what they weren't supposed to be doing. It was me not doing what I was supposed to be doing. And, and, and one of the, the, the passages that God led me to is this passage that we're looking at, Romans chapter 12. And it was later on in the chapter that really, the, the verse leapt out to me. I'll share with that later on as we get into the study. But I got back and I went back and I said, what does the whole chapter have to say? Because I was familiar with verses one and two. And I begin reading and then I begin diving into somewhere else. And and I wound up in this passage in in Matthew that talks about, you know, Jesus says, hey, judge not lest you be judged. With the same measure you judge others, you'll be judged. And then he says, hey, he says, if if you're going to remove the speck from someone else's eye, first remove the plank hanging from your own. And I got to thinking about, now I want you to just picture this with me. I don't have anything up here that's going to do this. Well, I do. Let's just use this stool, right? So he says, I want you to remove the plank from your own before you remove the speck from someone else's. Now, I'm going to use JP. JP, come up here real quick, man. I'm not, you're not going to say anything. But I, I just want you to picture... Good thing it's just water. It'll dry. So, so I want you to just picture with me what Jesus is saying. So JP is going to have the speck. And me being me, I'm going to have the plank, right? Now, can you imagine the absurdity in the words that Jesus is saying? This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, JP, I'm noticing something. I got it, buddy. I'm noticing something in your life, bam. I'm noticing something in your life that, that isn't good. So let me come over here and remove this speck of glitter. And, 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 and then I'm, I'm like, Whoa, you know, and, and, JP's going, bro, you got a plank hanging out of your own eye. And I'm going, bro, I'm good, man. There's nothing wrong with me, but there is something wrong with you. Right. And he's going, but Andy, I'm like, JP, this isn't about me. This is about you, man. And we're wandering around. You can sit down. Thanks, man. But we're wandering around with this plank sticking out of our eye. Right. And we're going, and we're, and we're trying to make corrections in the lives. Like, do you understand the absurdity of this? And so I'm walking around going, everybody else has a problem. I don't have one. And God says, listen, man, you got a problem. You have a problem. And here's what I, I began to realize I began to realize that my problem, my problem, and I'm just going to say I'm human, and so I'm going to guess maybe, possibly, that I'm not the only one that's dealing with what my problem is. And you know what my problem was? My problem was that I wasn't, like, I'm, I just, I got to the point that I was no longer repentant. I was no longer repentant. And as I started reading this chapter, and started, and, and started really mulling over this, and so I want you guys to understand that as I preach this, I'm intentional in the way that I'm sitting this morning. Because this is not something that I'm preaching out of, you know, pointing fingers. I want you to understand this is something that I've been, I've been wrestling through that this is something that God has stirred in my heart, and as a result of that, is allowing me to speak to all of us this morning about this. And so I wanted to draw your attention to this, this phrase in here that says, where he says, to be living sacrifices. To be living sacrifices." I, I, I've never chewed on that, that that phrasing before. And as I got to thinking about that, think about, Think about the Old Testament sacrificial system. What kind of offerings, when we talked about the sacrifices, what kind of animal had to be brought for the sacrifice? It was pure, without spot or blemish. It was perfect. That was a good word, JP. It was perfect. It was the first and the best it was given on a regular basis. It wasn't like I gave one offering and then I was done, right? I didn't just go and just lay it down once. When I was 18, when I came of adulthood, I laid it down, made the offering, and then I didn't have to make another one for the rest of my life. There was this reoccurring, and there, and there was this cost, right? Like think about that. We got a lot of farmers and ranchers. I, I don't know about you, but if I had cattle and I had my, my best cattle, like I'm thinking, boy, he's going to fetch me a good price at the sale barn. But what we see in the scriptures is that's the one you take for the sacrifice. That's the one you take to the temple to, to be offered as a, as a sacrifice. And there were a whole lot, there were about five different types of offerings and a litany of, of subcategories of them. But what I I hadn't really discovered was that if you go back into the book of Malachi, if you have your Bibles, flip open to the book of Malachi. Keep your thumb or your finger in Romans chapter 12, but go over to the book of Malachi. So Malachi means messenger and kind of God's messenger. If you're not familiar with, with the book of Malachi, what, we, what the book of Malachi is, it, it is the last prophet of God before 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And over the, by the time we get to, this, to, to, to Malachi, what we begin to discover is the people have fallen away from the Lord. And Malachi comes back in and he begins to, you know, kind of having this, these questions. But in the book of Malachi chapter one, he, he says something like this. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If them I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master... Where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. And then he asks this question. And it's the question that the people are asking. He's just beating them to the punch. He says, But you people say, How have we despised your name? And he says, And God's response is by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, and again, the people are, he's beating them to the punch. The people are saying, well, how, how, how is the, how have we polluted you? And he says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And, and notice here, when you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor, present that to the, you know, if you had somebody that you had to take an offering to present that to anybody else. Present that to anybody else. Will, they, will, will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of the Lord, that he may be gracious with us. With, with, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. He's saying, I would rather one of you come in and shut the doors and not even offer me a sacrifice than the, than the garbage that you are offering me now. He says, in fact, you would not even take that to, the, to, your, to your governors or your kings. You would not give that to anybody else. But that is what you are bringing to the Lord your God. And, and look what he, he goes on to say. He says, um, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. And you bring what has been taken by violence. So, you know, you have an animal in the field that an animal attacks. So instead of giving a healthy one, you bring the one that, that is about to die anyway. Taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. And he says, shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared. Among the nations, you see, as we think about this, this, this attitude of being a living sacrifice, and I was, and I wound up in Malachi. I got to thinking to myself, "Andy, what kind of sacrifice are you? Am I giving the Lord what is first and best in my life, or am I am I giving the Lord?" whatever I have left? Am I, am I giving him the best of my abilities? Am I giving him the best of my time? Am I giving him the best of my, my resources? of my finance? Am I giving him the best? Or am I doing all the things that I want to do? And then I'm, I'm and, and here's the way, I, I thought about this last night I was laying in bed. You know, sometimes I think, and, and I think Zach said it great. If you missed Zach's sermon last week, you need to get online and listen to Zach's message. Cause I'm telling you, there were several things that that young man said that cut me straight to my heart. And one of them was this. He said, we, we, get, we, get, we get comfortable with God being around. And I, and I think sometimes, and I use this illustration on Wednesday night, uh, I got three younger sisters. I did not want my younger sisters around me anywhere unless it benefited me in some way. Right? Some of you had cute little sisters, you might kind of understand, you know, or, or little brothers that if it didn't benefit me, I really didn't want to run. I dropped my sister off at the front door of the school every week because I didn't want her sitting in my car with me for the 20 minutes before school started. It was almost like there were times that I would be embarrassed by them or it made me look less cool than what I really was. And so I would want to separate myself from them. And, church, I'm going to be honest with you. If we aren't careful, that's exactly what we do to the Lord. We get comfortable and we get complacent and we say, you know what, Lord, it's not cool for you to hang around me right now. And so I leave him back here and I go and do the things that I wanna do. And folks, that's not being a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice is not what what Paul describes. You know, when he says the sacrifice, the holy sacrifice, and acceptable—that is what our sacrifice should look like, a holy sacrifice. And here's the thing: Christ is what makes us holy, not our good deeds. So we need a relationship with Christ. But He says your 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 sacrifice should also be acceptable. What does that mean? It means it's got it, it, it kind of carries with the same idea that we bring over from the Old Testament, this idea of giving God the best, not what's left over at the end of a week. Not spending a week at work. And listen, we got a, a a ton of kids in this church. And if you teach them, I want to thank you for giving I know that, that that that's I know that a lot of you would would like to be sitting up here and fellowshipping with the adults and you and you give that up. You devote yourself to going on there and teaching those kids. But let me encourage you to do something. Don't treat it like it's secondary, it's secondary work. I've been busy all week, let me get five minutes to read over my lesson to prepare for my kids. Devote yourself to that, because you know what? I will say this, there is nothing you're going to do on a Sunday morning, and there's probably nothing you're doing throughout the course of the week that's gonna be as important as what you give those kids for an hour on Sunday morning, nothing. If they come to this church and they grow up, and, they, and they've never heard the gospel, or they don't understand the gospel on their level, like we have done them a disservice as a church. So spend time studying and and, and making sure that 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 sacrifice is worth it, that you're prepared, that you understand. And it goes like that in anything that we do. And it could be a fun event like Fall Fest, but let's, and I think there's a word that that is important for us to understand when we talk about this this idea of sacrifice. It's excellence, excellence that we do things with excellence, that it's not, that it's not flipping or, or, or I, I, you know, that we just do things with excellence. If I'm gonna be a Christian, I wanna do that with excellence. If I'm gonna live for the Lord, I wanna do it with excellence. If I'm gonna serve him in his house in some capacity, I'm gonna do it with excellence. Why? Because he's worthy of it. Well, well he says that you would, you know, that you'd be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. For this is your spiritual worship. This is your reasonable worship. In light of what God has done for us, it is right for us to do that, to live in that way. But I think sometimes that what we do is we think that God is this beggar. And if we just throw God a bone, well, Lord, I read my Bible, check. Well, Lord, I went to church on Sunday, check. And that's what I'd fallen into. I'd check mark. I got my sermon done, check got Wednesday night Bible study done, check, made this phone call, check. And I began checking boxes instead of thinking about what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. I became task-oriented and not God-oriented. And the next thing you know, like I, and I look around and, I, and because I'm thinking of tasks and I'm thinking of all this, these different things, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not thinking about the Lord anymore. I'm thinking about what needs to be done. And the next thing I, I know, like I'm sitting here going, you know, oh, this is this and this and this. And I'm listening to all these things that are are bad that are going on around me, and it wasn't everything going around me that was bad. It was me, and what the and and here and here's the thing. Let me understand. I want you to understand something. In, in Malachi chapter two, he talks about all these bad offerings that have been offered. And then you know what he does? He points to the priest and he says, the reason all these offerings are bad are because you aren't doing your job. And I read that and it was like, so I literally had to fall on my knees because I thought about all these things that may be going on and the reason and, uh, that us not living as living sacrifices all the time. And I felt like God was pointing a finger and he says, listen, you're partly to blame for this. You've allowed these things to happen in my house, and you know what? I don't want to see us do that. I don't want to see us get to the point that we're just like, man. If God does something great, but if He doesn't, that's okay too. We're happy with the way things are. You know what I'm saying? Some of you that maybe only been here for a couple, three years; those of us that verses those of us that have been here for maybe the last ten to twelve we can look around on a Sunday morning and have a whole lot of reason to rejoice. Amen? Amen. It's all right to amen that. My first Sunday here, we had 60 total, and that was kids and adults. We probably have 60 kids downstairs right now. And to watch what God does, and I know over 10 years that I think I've kind of sat back a little bit and rested on some laurels. I've sat back and I thought, you know what? God's done some incredible things here. But folks, listen, God's not done. In fact, I would say this, God's just getting started. But in order for him to do what God wants to do, we have to become living sacrifices. We have to be willing to give our first and our best to the Lord in all things. Not, not, in, not have intentions. Well, let me do this, this, and this first, and then I'll do this. But it's saying, Lord, I am going to put you first in my life. I'm gonna make sure this right here is right. And it's recognizing, for, 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 for me, it took recognizing the fact that there were two F-words in my life that I did not want to come to grips with. The first one was that I had failed. There were some areas, there was no other way, I, I could not put lipstick on this pig, right? I had just flat out failed in some areas in my own life. I was broken. I was taking my sin and, and, and acting like it didn't affect anybody else. I, I was justifying it. I was sweeping it under the rug. And we're gonna get into some specifics later on in this series about some ways that that has happened and, and some ways that it's happened in our church. But we take those things and we just kind of sweep them under the rug and we never deal with them. We don't deal with our sin. We have a hard time admitting that we fail in any capacity in any area of our life. But if Romans teaches us anything, does it not teach us that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's target? And not just that, does does it not give us the hope that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ? And I got to read in Romans chapter one. You see, you can't just jump in the middle of a book. You got to understand what the whole thing's saying. So I go back to Romans chapter one. A lot of you are familiar with Romans chapter one because it's one of those things that we look at the world that we live in. You know, it talks about God and the things, you know, the, the, the attributes of the Lord are made, you know, may, are, he, re, he reveals to everybody in the things that are created, but they didn't want to worship God. And so he, he basically, you see this, this, Descent into sin. They didn't worship God. They sinned against God. He gave them over uh, to, you know, that they started um, the, the relationships between each other. They began to get impure. And then the next thing you know, like he's giving them over to the base mind and, and, and so that they do things they ought not to do. And so there's this series of, and we look at that and we're like, oh my goodness, that is the world that we live in. Have you ever turned the page and gone gone into chapter two? Now remember, Paul's speaking to the church. In chapter two, this is the Andy Raines paraphrase of what Paul says. He says, you are doing the same things. These things of being given over to debased mind, these things of sinning against the Lord, this idea of not worshiping God, that worshiping the creature instead of the creator. He's saying to the church, he's saying, you guys have fallen into the same thing. You're just not acknowledging it. We're not acknowledging our failure. We're not acknowledging our sin, the areas in which we've fallen away from the Lord. And this wasn't like the Romans woke up one morning and said, you know what? I think I'm just gonna fall away from the Lord today. There's a song, I think it's Casting Crowns, that says it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when we are no longer transformed by the word of God, but we begin to become transformed or conformed to the world. But I I wanna read a passage that we find in in Romans chapter two because we can say that and, and, and he says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? Let me go back, Romans chapter two, verse three. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But listen to what he says, and he's talking to the church. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent, what's impenitent mean? I had to look that up because I'm not that smart. Impenitent means, let me find it not feeling shame or regret about one's attitudes or actions. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, I didn't think God was gonna, look Look what he says in, in chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All of us. Not just, there's not, sinner and saint that there is a judgment being stored up for us and we need to understand that he will render to each one according to his works now this is heavy stuff I'll tell you one way in which I failed I've not preached on this kind of stuff enough But he says he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, to those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now that's not the end of the story. I don't want you to think that that's the end. The end is that we have hope. But the reality is for us, as the church, as followers of Christ, that we have to do what's right, that we are not the arbiters of what is right and wrong. We don't get to choose. Our job, James tells us, our job is not to judge the law, but to obey it. We don't judge the laws of God. We obey God's law. And here's the deal. How many of us want what is best and what is good and what is, is is God's best for our families? Anybody? I do. I want God's best for my life. And if I want that, then I'm gonna go to this book. What it says, do not be conformed to the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but be transformed. How what's he say there? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Flip open to, over to Colossians, and I'm going to wrap up. Colossians chapter 1. Paul talks about the mind and wisdom. Just turn a few pages Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. There's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians chapter 1. And Paul says this it's one of his prayers, so to speak, that we get in his epistles, in his letters. He says, and so in verse nine of chapter one, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that be transformed by the renewal of your mind in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us. We have been rescued out of it. One of the things that Zach said last week that rang so true for me and a few others that I talked to he said, "Why in the world would we go back to the things we had to pray ourselves out of? Why would we fall back into things that we had to pray ourselves out of? He has delivered us out of the domain of darkness. We have been redeemed and set free." So don't piddle in the mud and in the muck and in the mire and the things that will strangle us. Don't plant yourself among weeds that will grow up around you and strangle you out. But be planted in the living word of God. Make sure your relationship with him is right. Make sure that we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not wrath. that we realize when we fail and we repent of it and we turn our backs to it. I know a lot of people that they, 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 will, they will make a mistake and they'll come and they'll say, I'm so sorry for that. But 30 minutes later, they're doing the exact same thing right over again. Repentance is turning your back to your sin and turning your face to God and walking with him. I think it's great when we apologize, when we should But there ought to be a measure of repentance in our heart that it grieves us. And in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 7, I'm not going to read that, but it talks about that, that there is a godly grief that leads to repentance. And, church, I'm telling you, we need that godly grief. We need to be broken before the Lord and realize that there are things in our lives that are not right and we cannot continue living in them or we are storing up wrath for ourselves. That, this relationship has got to be right. We have manufactured in, 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 in Western society, we have manufactured this image of God that he is okay with whatever we do as long as we're happy. And folks, all that is, is the wide gate that Jesus warns us about on his Sermon on the Mount. Wide is the gate and easy the way that leads to destruction. And many find it. But narrow is the way, the gate and hard the way that leads to life. And I don't want us to leave here this morning and be all like, man, I'm so beat up. And here, Here's the reality. Here, here's, if I, and I'm being completely honest with this. And I told Luke this when I was talking to him about where we were gonna be going in the next few weeks. There's an image in, in Nehemiah, and I'm gonna close with this. There's an image in Nehemiah. I think it's somewhere, it's in Nehemiah chapter eight if you wanna go back and read it. But what happens is, is in a nutshell, Nehemiah, God burdens Nehemiah with going and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The people are, are, they're discouraged. The walls have been torn down. They're not even a city anymore. And God in his providence and sovereignty provides the way for Nehemiah to go and and rebuild these, these walls, this city, and really to rebuild God's people, right? This was kind of an identity thing for them. And it was to restore a city, but it was to restore a people, And when they get the gates redone, they call in Ezra, who was a teacher of the law, a scribe. And they build this massive platform uh, just inside one of the main gates of the city. And they bring all the people together. And Ezra doesn't preach. All Ezra does is he opens the law and he begins to read the word of God. And as the people hear the word of God, they realize how far away from the Lord that they have fallen. And they begin to weep and mourn and grieve. Over the sins that they'd committed. But something beautiful happens. Nehemiah doesn't stand before them and say, Yes, that's exactly what you dirty, rotten scoundrels need to be doing. Repent, grieve, cry, mourn. He doesn't say that. You know what he says to him? He says, I want you to go home. I want you to kill the fattened calf. And I want you to throw a party. Because you saw what you were, and you have returned to the Lord. That's Andy Rain's paraphrase, but that's basically what happens. So I want you to go, I want you to throw a party, because your hearts have realized how far you've fallen away, and they want to go back. They want to return. And so I want you to throw a party. I want us to throw a party. I don't want it to be a fake party. I don't want it to be one of those parties like we come in and we're like, hey, how's everything going? like, man, it's great. And it's not, life is crumbling, but I'm never gonna let you know that. I want us to be able to throw a genuine party. I want us to know a joy that comes from a right relationship with the Lord, not fake it till we make it. I want us to be able to understand that God is calling us to return to him not a fabric of our imagination, not, not coming to God on our terms, but coming to God on His terms, that He is calling us to return to Him. He's calling us to repent so that we can be restored and redeemed. That's what He's calling us to. And when we do that, listen, we get to throw a party. We get to stand up and we don't have to paint the smiles on our faces. How's things going? Great, but I'm not going to let you know that I just had a fight with my wife on the way in. do man, things are great. Because listen, if you want to act like your life is perfect, you can go right ahead, but you're not fooling anybody. You are not fooling a single person. Because you know what? There were about 10 things that I've done wrong just this morning, and I've been up, I won't tell you how long I've been up, but I've been up for a few hours, And I can go back and I can look. And so listen, I'm gonna tell you this this morning. We're gonna open up these altars. And the first person that's gonna be kneeling at this thing is gonna be me. Because I'm not perfect. I'm tired of pretending that things are a lot better than they are. And I so much appreciated Melissa's scripture this morning in Ephesians chapter six. Because I want us to understand something, there is an enemy that is real, and he is literally going to do everything he can to separate you from the living God, everything. And here's what we need, we need the Lord. But you know what church, we need each other. And here's the thing, and we're gonna get into this as the series goes, if my relationship here isn't right, our relationship here will not be right either. I'm not gonna be who you need me to be. You will not be who I need you to be. And that's just in supporting brothers and sisters in Christ, just us being in relationship with one another. That when I'm failing, if you aren't where you're supposed to be, you're not gonna be there to pick me up. You're not gonna sense that. But this morning, it's about this. And I just want us to ask that honest way. There's a passage in, 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 in Psalms chapter 139. Search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. God, if there's anything in my heart that dishonors you, if there's anything in my heart that should not be there, would you help me to get rid of it? And if, that's, if there is this morning man, let's come and lay that in altar and let's get our hearts and lives right with the Lord Jesus, amen? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.